0: You're listening to
1: KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. I'm streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the great robot wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold, with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, zot, 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 everyday anteaters. Hello everybody, this is UCI Conversations, and I'm your host Kevin Bossenmeyer. And my guest today is UCI alumni, Michael Arias. During Mike's 40 year career at UCI, he went from the copy room to becoming an associate chancellor and chief of staff in the office of the chancellor. That is quite a remarkable journey. In 2019, he received UCI's highest alumni honor, the Laws and Laurels Extraordinarius Award. Chancellor Howard Gilman at the time said, Few have contributed as much to UCI's advancement as Mike did for so many years. In every position Mike held, he made UCI a better place. His contributions cannot be overstated and will benefit UCI for generations to come. Welcome, Mike Arias, to UCI Conversations. How are you today?
0: I'm great, Kevin. Thanks.
1: Super. Let's start at the beginning. Where would you grow up and what would you like to do when you were a kid?
0: I grew up locally. I grew up in Santa Ana, California, and I was like any other kid. I got my share of shenanigans, but mostly a well-behaved kid and, you know, a quiet suburban life.
1: When did UCI come into your consciousness?
0: I think it sort of seeped in quietly and slowly over time. UCI was built in the early 1960s and started classes in the mid-1960s and I remember being generally aware of it. My most obvious memory of UCI is used to have to drive by it on the way to the local landfill. Mm-hmm. So every time we had a lot of yard work and had to go unload <laughs> a pickup truck full of stuff, you'd go by UCI. Oh, there's UCI. That must be where it
1: is. Right. And when did you come to work at UCI? How did that come to be?
0: So after high school, I went to college for one quarter at UC San Diego, and then I had to leave, and I came back, and I was living locally, I was working in a friend's restaurant in Laguna Beach. It was a small family restaurant, and even though I was underage, I was, because of the circumstances, allowed to tend bar there sometimes. Wow. In addition, in my regular, I know, it's crazy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I was 19 or 18 and knew how to make crazy drinks. Uh, In the bar there, one of my favorite customers, and a regular, was a guy who worked at UCI. That was a really you know, the only connection I had yeah. until then. And like anybody else in the restaurant business at any given time, I was complaining about it. And he used to encourage me all the time, I oh, gotta come work at UCI, you gotta come work at UCI.
1: Was he faculty or staff?
0: He was staff. He was oh. in a position, they didn't call it that then, but he was in a position that we now call assistant dean for oh, one okay. of the schools. Okay. And after a lot of false starts, I was able to get a job uh, working in the School of Physical Sciences in the Copy Center.
1: So at that point, were you thinking this might be a good place to hang your hat for a career? Or...
0: <laughs> well, you know, when you're 19 or 20, Kevin, you're not thinking about, at least I wasn't thinking about career. I really wasn't thinking much past a couple of weeks ahead. It was a huge amount of money compared to what I was used to. $727 a month reliably but a huge uh, uh, change though was getting used to being paid only once a month I went from being paid every 15 minutes just you know just uh, to, uh, to, to, to once a month and so that first month I actually had to uh, moonlight and get a second job working a night shift at one of the local factories so just to just <laughs> to pay my rent yeah um, but then I started and it was Really a wonderful experience, but you know it was several years into working at UCI before I had any notion of working there long term. Right. I'd had a succession of jobs as a teenager, you know, I had thirty jobs, and this is just another one. I didn't know if I'd have it for a couple of weeks or
1: whatever. Mm-hmm. Where were you living at the time?
0: Where was I living when I started UCI? The woman who is now my wife, but was my girlfriend then, she and I and another couple. Rented a small house in Deerfield in
1: Irvine. Oh. So back in the days when it was pretty, I guess 1980, it wasn't like it was just cow pastures. It was largely
0: cow pastures. Woodbridge was a cow pasture. You had to drive through barren areas of Culver Drive uh, to get to Deerfield, and behind it was a complex called The Ranch. None of the shopping centers were there. There was a shopping center in the corner of Culver and Walnut. Where the Trader Joe's is now, there was a Shakey's. I remember that. (laughs) It's funny what you
1: remember. Do you remember any of the early professors that particularly impressed you or yelled at you? (laughs) (laughs) I had some of that.
0: Uh, Mostly, I I really, uh, I had no concept of what faculty were versus what staff were. So they were all one homogenous group to me. I came later to realize that I sometimes was making copies for a guy who would become a Nobel Laureate. And other times I was making copies for a graduate student, but they were all the same to me. I ended up having pretty good relations with a number of the faculty and bad relations with some other faculty. (laughs) But I, I really didn't know what faculty were. They seemed to me to be well, you know, not to be unkind to the 19 year old, or I think as I was 20 then, they were just a bunch of entitled nerds. <laughs> it was a while before I came to value them as I do now.
1: So you were in the
0: copy room, and then where did you go from there? Well, actually, I'm doing this what matters to me and why thing for UCI uh-huh. coming up. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit there, I think. But what happened was i worked working in the copy center for a while and I had. Three big machines, one enormous machine. I'll never forget it—the Xerox 9200. I had to go to a class for two days up in Anaheim to learn how to use it. It was yeah. extremely sophisticated. It yeah. was as large as a 747 and just yeah. as loud. <laughs> it, it was, you know, it could collate, it could shiny up a rope, it could do whatever you wanted it to do. Uh, so I'd sit there making copies. People put in orders, and I'd have to recharge them and have little slips. You're recharging either their research grant or their departmental huh. funds, if it was for teaching. I once asked, well, what about cash? Can they just pay me cash? And everybody laughed at me because that's not how it worked.
1: <laughs> but I was
0: sort of running through things. In the copy center, you'd have a period of busy times, and then you'd have sort of quiet times. And so when it was quiet, I was trying to just teach myself about this. So I had the invoices, and I was plotting what the cost of supplies were. You know, consumables... Fixed costs, like the cost of leasing machines and my salary and all that. Yeah. And I started to panic because I was weighing that against what I was uh, charging. You know, three cents for a, a copy within the school. And for non-school users, it was six cents. Kevin, we were losing money. <laughs> I mean, it was obvious. And, you know, as a guy who was sort of trained to run a lemonade stand, I was panicked and, what am I got to do? This is a pretty good gig, but it's not going to last very long. It's losing money.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: So I arranged to go see a guy who hired me, who's like I said, an assistant D position.
1: And I laid it all
0: out. You know, I, I hated doing it. I knew I was cutting off my own foot, but yeah. I laid it all out. And, and he, he just kind of laughed. Cause I said, and this doesn't even include rent. I don't know how much this building costs. To pay, <laughs> the yeah. space that we're renting in this building. Yeah. And he laughed. and He said, well, Think about it from a different perspective. You know, we're running this enterprise and we have faculty that need copies for their uh, classroom materials or for their research, and they have to have it. And if you weren't here providing it, where are they going to get it? Are they going to each buy their own copy machine? Are they going to drive across town? So it's not so much that we have a copy center to make money or even to break even, it's there to support and supplement the larger vision and mission of the institution. And that was kind of profound for me. Yeah. <laughs> I had to wrap my head around because I'm a guy who's working in the restaurant business, right? Yeah. You want a taco? You give me some money. Yeah. Uh, so, so that was sort of a big takeaway. But other positive, it sort of impressed him that I had done that. Yeah. And so within a few months of getting that job, he promoted me into a job in the dean's office. So then I changed floors in that building, and then I had a different perspective. And I really was fortunate to, to sit at the foot of this guy and, you know, be taught by him and mentored by him. Right. Now, is he long gone? Yeah, he died about mm, 20
1: years ago. Oh, okay. Wow, that is impressive. So can we jump to where you went to next? I guess just give us a brief, a brief summary of as you grew up at UCI.
0: Sure. So initially, you know, I'm working in the copy center. and My only real awareness of the larger campus was when I would charge copies to other entities on the campus. You know, biosci people would come over and, and uh, to physical sciences and use our copy center. Our engineering people would. And so I came to associate areas of the campus with the names of their departments as I recharged them or if I would walk across campus to get lunch in the commons, which is now part of the library, uh, I'd look at the buildings and I'd say, well, oh, that's a pretty big place because there's physical sciences. That's my building. And there's biological sciences. That's them. Look at all these other buildings. There must be a lot of other entities to this campus. Right. That, that was really how I did the taxonomy in my head. Right. Yeah. Then uh, in the Dean's office, I had a job where I—that was a whole different long story that I won't see share. Now, my job involved recharging other entities on the campus for a whole myriad of physical sciences services. We had a glass blowing shop, we had a machine shop, uh, we had all kinds of—we uh, had a, a shop called Analytical Instruments, and we had to recharge these other entities of the campus. And the computer program that did most of that work—it had a six. Digit field name for department names. So, for example, molecular biology was Mole Bio, or social sciences was SOC So, I came to, as I expanded my view of the campus, I started to abbreviate everything with six letters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever engineering, you know, everything was like that, more and more exposure. And then as time got on, I, being a young man and not so much ambitious career-wise, but mercenary and wishing i had more money because it turns out, Kevin, that $727 a month I started getting in the coffee center that seemed like so much wasn't enough to cover all my aspirations. So <laughs> I started to consider other positions on the campus. In physical sciences, I think I had one or two promotions or reclassifications of my job, as they called it. But I wanted to take a bigger leap. And so I applied for a job in central administration working on the academic budget. And it was a real long shot. It was a real long shot. I got the interview and I I didn't own a belt or a sports jacket. So I had to borrow them to go have my interview.
1: Mike, excuse me for a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just joining us, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And my guest today is former UCI Associate Chancellor Michael Arias. Before his retirement in 2018, he was the chief of staff for the chancellor and spent over 40 years at UCI. And right now, he's telling us about a big jump he took in his career, and he had to get all dressed up for it. So, Michael, take it away.
0: So I I borrowed the belt, and I borrowed the jacket, and I walked across campus. I went real early because I – tend to get hot and perspire a lot. And I made the cool down before the interview. Had the interview, then waited and had a second interview, and I got the job. I couldn't believe it, which was good news. Then, of course, the bad news is I had no idea what to do. But I was really fortunate to have been hired by a guy who had two careers, one in the military, one in the State Department, and was in the denouement of his professional life at UCI. And his name was Lou Bird. And Lou Bird was a magnificent mentor and teacher. And he taught me from the ground up how to do budget and how to do a lot of other things. Mostly how to write. Oh, my God, he would crucify my writing (laughs) in a gentle way. But I proclivity to two of his pet peeves. One was the passive voice, which I employed constantly. And the other was split infinitives. (laughs) When he died, I gave his eulogy. (laughs) One of the the parts I said was, uh, I remember working for him in the mid 80s and one of the Star Trek movies came out. I think it was Khan or something. Mm -hmm. You know, what are you going to do this weekend? Ah, Lennon and I are going to go see the Star Trek movie. Mm -hmm. Ah, (laughs) this is a guy who's been attacking me on my split infinitives for years. And he goes, ah, yeah, to boldly go is to write badly. (laughs) 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 And I I still use that in my head when I'm looking at something I wrote to try and correct all the split infinitives I'm inclined to use.
1: Excellent. So how long were you there working for him?
0: So I worked for him for, I think it was eight or nine years. Wow. You know, from time to time, I applied for another job and Mm -hmm. usually not get it because I didn't have a college degree. I dropped out of college early. Mm -hmm. I have a job set up that I really wanted to get. I really thought I was going to get it, too. It was working in the library. And a good friend of mine was also competing for that job. And uh, it was a huge process. I would never had an experience like that. We had to give a presentation to, it seemed like, the entire library staff, maybe 50 or 60 people. And then meet with all the senior librarian folks, uh, Siri Adam, like five or six of them and then write a paper, all these things. And,
1: wow. Uh, yeah, what, friends, what was the job you were applying for?
0: Well, the best I can describe it is the library wanted to have something like what we call an assistant dean in the academic schools. And it was a good idea. They needed it. But they hadn't had one before, so they created this job. So they didn't really know what it was going to be either. Was it a colleague uh, and the equivalent of to the associate librarians? Or was it something different? You know, So they weren't uh-huh. sure either. Uh so my friend judy and i were competing for the job and uh we you know we were the two that that had the whole process right you know we got on the short list and then we had our final interview with the main librarian and then waited and waited and waited and waited it was like weeks went by and then more weeks went by and we were calling each other every day I haven't heard anything have you she she called me no I haven't heard anything how about you no well if I hear something I'll tell you okay yeah If you hear something tell me and I'll tell you okay and we were having that conversation like every other day and then uh she stopped calling oh (laughs) and I realized ah she got the job and I was just devastated I was just devastated but so about that time, a position opened up in social sciences, and uh, I'd had a sort of combative relationship with the dean of social sciences, mostly through my boss, because he and the provost would be button heads on something, and I was the ghostwriter for the provost. So I'd, I'd had—I felt like I had this adversarial relationship with him, but I really didn't. Yeah. It was with my boss together. He didn't even really know me very well, but he had an opening, and incumbent who was leaving uh, suggested to him that he hire me so he reached out to me and I was licking my wounds over this library experience so I jumped at it <laughs> and uh, uh, that was that was a profound change for me too because it really now immersed me into the world of faculty and academia in a way that I hadn't been before. I was living and breathing with these people every day and I began from a place of Maybe a little bit of chip-on-my-shoulder contempt for, as I told you before, the elite nerds. But actually working with them, because I was in social sciences for eight or nine years, I really developed a lot of respect for them and affection. And not just the individuals, but but faculty in general. It really turned me around. When I first showed up, I was wearing a suit every day, had real short haircut, even though I had initially been a long-haired hippie. By the time, I think my fifth or sixth year in social sciences, my hair was back down to my shoulders. I don't even think I could find a tie. And it totally changed. I decided I was just going to be in social sciences forever because it felt like home. It was a really a yeah. wonderful job. I had a real great experience in social sciences.
1: Can you distinguish a little bit more, like what was it that developed that respect and empathy
0: Well, there's a combination of things. Uh, So in some cases, Kevin, these brilliant faculty are brilliant at great cost. They almost are without capability to function in normal society in any other area. You know, it's, it's the old. Cliche that Einstein couldn't make bus change, you know, whatever. Uh, They really were clumsy, but they were so, they really were so smart and so committed and so fair minded. The way they would approach something analytically they were honest with themselves they would you know sometimes they've attacked themselves sometimes each other and you know they had all their we had divas and everything else but watching somebody every day especially when they're not looking when they don't know you're watching when they're not performing when you see them really in their element naked uh Mm -hmm. you come to really appreciate their value and uh that never
1: left me wow speaking of people like this in your career, can you name one or two people that you were like, wow, I I can't believe I knew that person, or I can't believe I met that person? Does anybody come to mind? Oh, dozens. The
0: one that first came to my mind when you asked that was Duncan Luce. Duncan Luce was a economist, cognitive scientist, social scientist in the School of Social Sciences, and he was just a big dome. I mean... He was very personable and I got along with him very well and we could talk about anything. And, it's, and it left me with the misimpression that I was on his level. And then I would see him give a talk or I'd try to read something he had done on his research site. He was amazing. He was astonishing. I think to this day, I think he's the most impressive intellectual I ever. Encountered, but I encountered many more, you know.
1: Uh,
0: to come to work in a place of a university, a, a prestigious university, you find yourself with the unbelievable privilege of being on a first name basis with giants, giants, you know, Nobel laureates. It's just amazing. You don't get that working at Place Miguel restaurant. Right. How about the
1: Dalai Lama has been to campus a a few times did you ever cross trails with him
0: got to meet him twice
1: (laughs) wow Wow. not (laughs) once twice
0: i know there was some facebook thing a couple months ago where you're supposed to list i think 10 famous people you met but one of them is a fake and you're first go, 10 famous people, I can't come up with 10. Well, sure you can if you worked at UCI because it's yeah. probably a problem of calling the list. Well, uh, I, I put the Dalai Lama in there and half the people were saying, oh, they, you never met the Dalai Lama. <laughs> well, you no, <know>, I
1: did. <laughs>
0: did you ever meet Kobe Bryant? I waved at him at oh. Trader Joe's. <laughs> oh, okay. That's the
1: closest I got. Okay, there you go. So... When did you decide to go to college for a degree?
0: (laughs) Well, I decided when I was 17, but that didn't work out. (laughs) Uh, So now I'm finding myself at a university. and I'm assistant dean of social sciences, and I don't have a college degree. I mean, not even a bachelor's degree. And at one point, I thought I'd go back, and I was talking to a pretty highly placed person on the campus, and that person said to me, well, you know, my college isn't for everybody, and boy, that really ticked me off. <laughs> so uh, for a long time, I postponed going, kind of with a chip on my shoulder. I mean, I, it was it was silly, but it was the kind of thing I would do. Uh, so for years and years, I I didn't go to college. I it didn't cause any harm to my family or me. My, you know, I was still able somehow to be fairly successful career-wise and financially. But uh, later on, so from social sciences, I went to work in the provost's office as chief of staff to a provost. And I was doing that for several years. And at one point, I can't remember the exact circumstance, but it came to me that, gee, I would really hate for somebody out there who was the enemy of my boss, and if you're provost, you got a lot of enemies, to decide to wield against him as a weapon the fact that his chief of staff didn't even have a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. Cause then it wouldn't be that there's no cost to my indulgent ship on my shoulder. It could actually put someone in harm's way. Mm-hmm. And so at the age of 50 I went back to college. Was it hard? And I went to uh, it was hard to get started. It was a UCI. I got great advice. I had great counselors. I did it in three years, going to school almost full-time. I would sometimes knock it down if it was a time of year I knew it would be real busy, but I kept working. But if you think about it, I had a lot of advantages. I was local. I was already at the college. Right. Uh, In fact, I live on the campus. And between my home computer and my office computer setup, I had more computing power than the Soviet Union did back in 1976 when I went to college the first time. So mm-hmm. a lot of things were at my fingertips. You know, library materials. You could essentially do all your articles and stuff, never leaving your couch. Mm. So I, I'm not going to say it was easy. One thing I noticed when I was a young man, I would say that my academic strengths really were mathematics and science. And I would say that as a 50-year-old, which is still hard to remember because now that was a long time ago, (laughs) my math skills had diminished. My natural, innate comfort with math dwindled away. But that was compensated because I think in the meantime, a combination of life experience and my boss teaching me how to not split infinitives made (laughs) me a much better writer by better that partly means being faster at it. So it actually wasn't hard at all. And maybe at the end of the day, a little bit of shame that I took so long to do it.
1: Just one more moment, Michael. If you're joining us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossemeyer. And my guest today is former UCI Chief of Staff to the Chancellor, Chancellor Gilman, that is. And Michael Arias is my guest. And we're just talking about his career progression at UCI over the 40 years he was working on campus. He's now retired. I also happen to know that he loves anteater baseball and basketball. Is that just something that you've loved since you were a kid?
0: Yeah, definitely. So you find yourself working at UCI. A year or two after I started working at UCI, I think 1980 or 81, they elevated to division one status in, in that was a big deal. So we had a real big time program. We ended up with a rock star basketball player named Kevin McGee, who his senior year at UCI led the United States, led the nation in scoring and rebounding at UCI. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Wanted to go to those games, but times were tight. So it was expensive to go to those games, but I really wanted to. So I, I made an arrangement with the business manager for athletics to work on the radio broadcast team i wasn't an on-the-air voice or anything but i managed the equipment i did the statistics for the radio so so as a consequence i got to see every game and that was a huge luxury and then when baseball got reintroduced to uci in i think the year 2000 i was first in line to get my season tickets i've had them ever since
1: Good. Can you define for us what chief of staff means? Is it just at the dictates of your boss or, oh, no, no, it really does have an exact definition. Can we hear from your experience? I
0: think it really is the dictates of the boss. Because I was chief of staff to one, two, three, four provosts and one chancellor. Now, two of those four provosts were interim but in each case the definition and functions of the job were crafted exclusively to be customized to the personal provost seat some provosts really didn't need a lot of i don't know policy or whatever so i ended up having a lot of organizational responsibilities a lot of things reported to me other chancellors wanted me full-time on their on, on their act, uh, the provost not chancellors. So you, you'd you customize the job to fit the incumbent.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it, it sounds like you were nimble. You, you were able to navigate.
0: Well, yeah, maybe that was the advantage of not really having a game plan coming to work at UCI in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't have any plan to get dashed by someone's <laughs> other's, someone else's uh, wishes. I, I think nimble is maybe a little too generous, but flexible and responsive. If you understood that your job really was to facilitate the provost or later the chancellor and make sure that they thrive and as a consequence, the institution thrives, well, how could you be anything but flexible or nimble, mm-hmm.
1: as you say? Mm-hmm. In terms of over your career, particularly in the in the chancellor's office, you had quite a number of substantial projects that you worked on and so forth. Are there a few that particularly stand out like, oh, boy, this one was a big one and, boy, was it a lot of work or, boy, we had no idea what it would be and it turned into a nuclear project? Go ahead.
0: <laughs> well. I don't want to describe any of these projects and give the false impression that I was instrumental in their having been brought about. I was a part of a team or had something to do in the background. That having been said, I'm especially proud of the efforts that resulted in our building a new hospital about 10 years ago now. That was a big deal, a Herculean thing. I feel the same way about the establishment of the law school, the UCI. Uh, A lot lot of swings at the bat.
1: Before we move on from the hospital, are you talking about the UCI Medical Center?
0: Yes, the Douglas Hospital. Gotcha. The hospital building we built.
1: Yeah. You know, I didn't really realize, was that literally a new building? It's in the city of Orange, right?
0: Correct. Well, so you know the background is uh, UCI was supposed to have its own hospital to uh, bookend our new our medical school which we established in the early 70s I think and we were supposed to have a new hospital built on campus maybe in the mid 70s and at the same time the Orange County Medical Center was languishing I guess and someone thought it'd be a good idea to just give that to UCI to be its affiliate hospital Mm -hmm. and it really wasn't designed to be an academic medical center Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it had ward rooms and things like that. So we were always struggling to, to make it work for us financially and in and, and terms of delivering quality health care. Mm-hmm. And I'll have the dates mixed up. And at some point, there became a lot of funds to uh, seismically retrofit the old hospital. And we instead got permission to use those funds to be the body of a, a new project to build a, a replacement hospital. Mm-hmm. And it took years with countless obstacles and unbelievably complex scenarios, but it got built, and a lot of people made it happen. But it's something that
1: I was real proud to be a part of. Wow, excellent. So did they actually shut down the Orange County Medical Center while they transformed it? I
0: think this is long before I was uh, of any cognizance. So my understanding is, yeah, one day it ceased to be the Orange County Medical Center, and it became the UCI Medical Center. although. We still have the same responsibilities with respect to indigent care and all the other things associated with the county hospital. We just didn't have the resources, and we had this other function. We had to jam into it.
1: Mm-hmm. And do you know what the update is? Are they going to put in a, a hospital in now in the main campus area, or can you give us any updates on that?
0: It wouldn't be my place to say it. I know that there's going to be a much larger health science profile on the campus, and it will include clinical facilities. Whether or not there's a full-fledged hospital, I just don't know.
1: Gotcha. And something else you're proud to have worked on as a team member is the law school.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was a blast. You know, We took three tries at that. Uh, One of them I wasn't involved with. That was in the early 90s. And we tried again and failed, and then finally... Uh, we succeeded. And, and when I say we, it was a whole bunch of other people and, you know, like Wilt Chamberlain and I combined to score 100 points back in 1962. <laughs> Some other people and I built this <laughs> but, uh Even so, uh, it was a big, exciting moment. I remember being at the Regents meeting at UCLA. The Regents approved it and that was a banner day. That was a yeah. banner day. Uh,
1: excellent. Now, you said there were three tries. So, can you just briefly tell us what happened with Strike 1 and Strike 2?
0: I can't cuz I really don't know. I
1: don't oh. know
0: uh, if it never got out of the box or if yeah. the California Post Secondary gotcha. entity killed it or what. I just don't remember what killed it.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Toward the end of your career, what were the big projects you were working on or or you know what what was developing at that point?
0: Probably the two biggest things were uh, the establishment and uh, infancy of uh, applied innovation, uh, that area that we have in the research park that h- helps try to to marry uh, entrepreneurship with our academic and research ideas. Um, that was a, a big energy center. And then the uh, evolution of our health sciences into integrated health integrated medicine and the Sam gift and all that those were big entities that that were uh, sort of reigned supreme over everything else there for a while.
1: You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, the UCI Conversation Show. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my special guest today is recently retired Chancellor's Chief of Staff, Michael Arias, talking about his 40 years of service at UCI. He now talks about his transition into retirement. Here we go. Did you always know that retirement was within sight or was it just time when you finally decided to retire?
0: Never even thought about it. Retirement at the University of California, if you started when I did and worked as long as I did, is a pretty good gig. It's a pretty good circumstance. I had no idea that that was what was happening until the last couple of years. I didn't even know it was really an option. I just assumed I'd work forever. And I... I did enjoy working a lot, but it got to the point where I think that you know when your shelf life is coming due. And I think it's healthy for to make room for new blood and new ideas. And uh, I had a, And what better circumstance to do it than when you have a a job that you really enjoy that they seem to value you in? I had a great relationship, still do, with Howard Gilman. Uh, I didn't feel chased out in the least. It was 40 years. So the, the way it works is if you turn 60 years old and you've got 40 years in the system, you retire at full pay. Wow. Let me just say that again. Yeah. You retire at full pay. Now it's a little bit augmented because it's your your full pay of your last three rolling years and if you'd like your spouse to continue the benefits if you die first, you know, you knock it down. But essentially I was working for free and I love yeah. the job, but I can work for free in different circumstances. <laughs> I can go volunteer, I can go do right. stats on the basketball games.
1: That really does put it in perspective. You could work and make a certain amount of money, or you could retire and make the same amount of money. (laughs) That is a wow. That's a wow.
0: So why would you not? As much as I really enjoyed working with Howard and everybody else, I like my family even more. And you give up less, I think in my circumstance, you give up less than somebody who put in a whole career at Boeing or something. Because I still live on the campus. I still go, when we're not having a coronavirus thing, I still go to the sporting events. I still go to the arts events. I still feel like I'm part of the community. I serve on, you know, a half a dozen committees or, you know, standing groups. So I didn't really give anything up.
1: I do see that you are involved with Phi Beta Kappa. Was that something that you earned? with your degree or were you invited
0: yeah I, when i finally did go back to college i don't want to sound bragging but i did really well so i got you know latin honors and i was admitted into phi beta kappa and the phi beta kappa folks were smart enough to say hey you know he's phi beta kappa uh Let's make him an officer of Phi Beta Kappa so that we have a friendly ear in central administration. <laughs> and so I've been secretary of local chapter of Phi Beta Kappa now for eight or nine years. So now that you retire, what do you do in your spare time? Nothing.
1: <laughs>
0: now I spend a lot of time with my family. We my wife and I had a grandson born a year and a half ago. And that, you know, If you let it, that will take up every single ounce of your energy. And we pretty much do let that happen. Uh-huh. Uh, so I do that. I'm still involved, like you said, in Phi Beta Kappa. I'm involved in a, a little group that works with the Brent Center, a few of uh, the Claire Trevor Society uh, of the School of the Arts I'm involved in. You know, half a dozen things like that. And then a whole lot of home projects. For the first time in my life, if you came over to my house right now, Kevin, and asked me to find something in the garage, I could find it for you.
1: Well, that's impressive. That
0: that well, it was, and it would not have been true for the uh, last twenty years.
1: Right. Now, is it true that you have about a dozen guitars and ukuleles and mandolins around the house? <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I'm compensating for my lack of ability by by just having lots of guitars. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm I'm up in my son's former bedroom right now, talking to you, and I'm looking at a Gibson J two hundred and a Fender Telecaster, uh, and those are just in this room. Uh, oh, oh, there's a ukulele up there, and there's an old mandolin there, and yeah, I got a lot
1: of guitars. Do you play? I play not very well. In this time of COVID, having all your experience, sir, with you know a major organization like UCI, is this unbelievable or what? Who who would have ever yeah. saw this coming?
0: Well, a lot of people did see it coming. We had tabletop exercises anticipating mm.
1: things mm. like this.
0: I'd say that Orange County is really lucky to have UC Irvine in its domain with our public health area and our other leadership areas uh because it's going to impact a whole lot of things it's going to not just health but economics and social and Mm -hmm. mental health Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know in hindsight i'm really glad i'm not working right now Uh, Mm -hmm. and i'm glad that young energetic people are working on how to at uci manage the consequences of this circumstance Mm
1: -hmm seeing uci grow like it did over the 40 years do you, do you have any sense of like the next 10 or 20 years what that'll be like for uci uh,
0: well, i just finished that sentence and didn't just say do you have any sense uh the uh i think we're at about the size we're going to be maybe you know Different leadership comes and it can decide to go bigger or whatever. But I think we're at about adulthood now. Mm. Uh, so I imagine us getting steadily better, but maybe not the same speed and great steep curve of getting better that we had before, because we're not an adolescent anymore. We're an adult. I feel real good about UCI. I think we're maybe entering a more of a period where we pay back and are more obviously valuable to the community. We were all, in my opinion, always valuable to the community, but that becomes a little more obvious now. As for example, we create a museum, which will have a public component or as our athletic teams become more successful and broader, or we host the Rams for training camp, or mm-hmm. as our arts productions get larger, And as we are more inclusive Mm -hmm. and have a larger group, and as you know, I don't know if it's true exactly, but it used to be that Disneyland was the largest employer in Orange County, followed by UCI. And Mm -hmm. then in third place was UCI Medical Center, right? I don't know what impact the coronavirus had on Disney, whether we would then leap to the front, but whatever, we're a player and Mm -hmm. we continue to be a player. UCI has an indescribable positive impact on Orange County, and I see that becoming not more than it has been, but more obvious to the pedestrian than it has been. Mm. I
1: see that your title was Associate Chancellor and Chief of Staff, and when I recognize, I'm like, whoa, that's not Associate Vice Chancellor, that's Associate Chancellor... I'm not sure if I've noticed that before. Are there very many associate chancellors at UCI, or is that? Yeah, just... uh,
0: there's a couple. Uh, I think that we have a associate chancellor for communications and media. I, I'm sure I botched that title. Uh, forgive me, Ria, and uh, associate chancellor for human resources, Ramona Agrella, and there might be another one or two that I'm not remembering.
1: Does it go associate chancellor and then vice chancellor and then chancellor? Is that how it
0: works? Well, it, it, it's not that clear cut. So uh, you, you have to <laughs> – one way to look at it is associate chancellors and vice chancellors and the associate executive vice chancellor are all the chancellor's cabinet. So they're all, to one degree or another, peers. But I would rank – if you're ranking, I'd rank a vice chancellor higher than an associate chancellor.
1: Were you involved with the roundtable?
0: Uh, toward the end, a little bit, but not a lot. I was on it. You know, I, I went to their awesome retreats. <laughs> <laughs> and to the extent that it engaged with the implied innovation area, I got involved a little bit there, but not a lot.
1: Gotcha. Can you explain <laughs> to the audience what is the UCI roundtable? Just briefly. Not-
0: I can tell you what I've heard it is, because people have disagreements over that. Mm. I think initially it was intended to be a collection of local chief executive officers who collected themselves to support UCI, not just financially, but with their expertise too. And those relationships, of course, evolve in different ways, and it has lots of different functions. But that was I think initially how it was intended to function and how it largely functions now, but it does a lot of other things too. Well,
1: under the circumstances, any plans for the next half year? Oh, we had a
0: big cruise lined up that we canceled. We <laughs> uh, were big travelers. So we've had to rethink that and instead spend all the money we would have spent on that cruise. We spent it on the backyard. <laughs> so there's that. And that's just a, a different way to, appreciate life no no big plans no big plans just more house things and and small trips
1: Uh, michael arias thank you so much for spending the hour with us and giving us a journey through your career at uci and all the best with your retirement thank you thanks kevin thank you again to former chancellor's chief of staff and 40-year uci staff veteran extraordinaire michael arias for taking us on a journey of a lifetime with his insider's perspective. He came a long way from being trained to run a lemonade stand. And I loved his acknowledgement of seeing some of our great, brilliantly amazing professors when they are out of the public eye and how it can be lonely at the top. And he said it in such a kind, positive way. Thank you, Michael Arias, for being with us. Enjoy your retirement. If you'd like to hear more insights into Michael's career, tomorrow, Wednesday, November 18th at 12 noon is UCI's What Matters to Me and Why speaker series. Michael Arias is the lunch hour guest, and I'm sure he will be serving up more of his homespun humor and unique insights. While we're in pandemic mode, it is on Zoom. To reserve a spot, Google UCI What Matters to Me and Why. Now, coming up next at 5 p.m. is Entrepreneur Nation with Ash Kumra, looking at solutions to common business problems with commerce experts from our community. Stay tuned. If you'd like to hear an encore of this episode of UCI Conversations or any other edition of UCI Conversations, simply go to www.bossenmeyer.com for my podcast website. Messages can also be sent to me at kboss at kuci.org. You've been listening to UCI Conversations, where every week we explore another corner of the land of blue and gold, with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and zot-zot-zot everyday anteaters. eaters This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, reminding you that next week is Thanksgiving. Plan to be safe and keep socially distancing. Happy trails. So long, everybody.